This is the Northern Kentucky Football Show podcast, the Week 9 edition. A lot to talk about from this weekend, including two big rivalry games that were decided by one point. The chess pieces are about set in the district seeded standings, but with the Scott Holmes game in 4A on Thursday and Cooper Highlands and Cuffcath Connor in 5A, things should really get interesting, uh, even though I think Cuffcath is probably locked up that one seed. I mean, it would have a, take a loss for that to be something to come out of that. Uh, we could potentially see a Cooper Connor Highlands Cuffcath first round matchup. Could you imagine that? That's juicy. And I if, like that. And if Holmes were to beat Scott and Rowan County were to win Friday as well, there would be a three-way tie for first place in 4A. Wild. Uh, you were out, Dixie and Highlands, on Friday. Anything stand out to you? So what stood out to me from this weekend is a couple of things. And You mentioned it here, rivalry games, district games. These felt like playoff games. The intensity with the way the teams were playing against each other. It was a lot of fun to get a taste of that in mid-October, what's coming here in a couple of weeks. The other thing that stood out to me was some of the coaching jobs we've seen from some of these teams who maybe had slow starts or questionable results early in the season, who have now rallied to have really good records and really great seasons. Some that come to mind, Eric Turner, mm -hmm. here at Scott High School, Jeff Barth and what he's done at Walton Verona, kind of changing around pieces. The Barth Cats. To get around the injuries. I love the Barth Cats. Randy Borchers yep. at Cooper is a guy that they went through a little adversity at the beginning of the season, and now they're having a great year. So some coaching jobs stood out. The intensity of the game stood out, and it feels like playoff football is right around the corner as we kind of start to feel the cool air outside. I'm getting excited I love fall. about what's coming here in the next couple of weeks. Did you like the 6 o'clock start time at uh, Dixie? Do it every week. Stagger the starts and it's great. get out and see more games. Well, it worked out great for me because I had scheduled on Friday to go Ryle Dixie for early because that was the Crosstown Showdown. We did all our TV live shots there in the early news and then go to Cuffcath Highlands for that. And typically the way it works out is once you get like two or three touchdowns from the first game, you jet to the second. Mm -hmm. I was able to stay because of the staggered times for the entire first half of Ryle Dixie and then get to Fort Thomas and saw the final three quarters. I can't remember seeing that much of two high school football yep. games on one night in a long time. So it was a treat for me to spend more time at the games. And yes, six o'clock was an A+. And that was them. We had nothing to do with that. And just I was looking at the weather and yeah, their ads were reaching out. I thought it was something that maybe they saw on Wednesday, maybe Thursday, and started talking about. My understanding some was, did. yeah, some did. My understanding was they didn't decide this until Friday was, around lunchtime. It was lunchtime. That's a quick turnaround because yeah. it's not just getting players ready. You got to get buses. You got to get all the people that go into a game, the referees, yep. parents getting off work and trying to get the game. So it's a lot of balls to juggle, and they were able to pull it There off. were a lot of moving pieces yeah. behind the scenes. To the Week 9 games, the final in Edgewood, Ryle 13, Dixie 12 in the Northern Kentucky heavyweight title bout on Dixie Highway. The storyline going into the game was the Dixie offense facing off against the Ryle defense. Three of their last five games have now been decided by less than one score and neither disappointed Friday night at Rice Mountjoy Stadium. Dixie would strike first when Landers hit Devin Holbert for an eight-yard touchdown pass with 4.08 left in the first quarter, but the two-point conversion pass to Gabe Thielen was no good. Rao would get on the board on a Logan Virax four-yard touchdown run early in the second. Summer Denigan's extra point put the Raiders up 7-6. to six. 
Dixie would find the end zone again before the half in a big way. Sophomore receiver Brock Rice hauled in his third touchdown catch of the year on a perfect throw from Landers, an 11-yard pass, an incredible catch. However, the two-point attempt was again no good, and Dixie led 12-7 at the half on Ryle's first possession of the fourth quarter, a nine-play, 56-yard drive that ended on a Lucas Kohlmeyer three-yard touchdown run. Ryle attempted a two-point conversion, but the run was no good, leaving the Raiders with a one-point lead with 7.43 remaining. Dixie would get pinned deep in their own territory on the ensuing kickoff, but mounted a drive, including a second and 21 pass that was complete to Brock Rice for 35 yards. However, the Ryle defense held, and Dixie would turn the ball over on downs. Ryle would run out the clock and put themselves in the driver's seat in District 6 play with one game remaining. Virax was 11 of 17 for 100 yards and rushed for 19 yards. Jace Harden rushed for 69 yards and caught two passes for 14 yards. Gabe Savage rushed for 51 yards. Nathan Yowen rushed for 50 yards, and Lucas Kohlmeyer rushed for 15 yards. Caden Gardner caught three passes for 21 yards. Jackson Belk had a 19-yard catch. Gavin Ruark caught two balls for 19 yards. And Dylan Siula had a 15-yard catch. Belk had 13 tackles. Savage had nine, with one and a half being for loss. Caden Gardner had six in an interception. Luke Lone and Kate Abram Cusick had four. Nathan Yowen and Trey Fleek both had three, one for loss for Dixie. Landers was 13 of 21 for 121 yards and rushed for 70 yards. Pierced Rollman rushed for 24 yards. Wyatt Hurth had three carries for 12 yards. Brock Rice caught two passes for 46 yards. Devin Holbert had five catches for 40 yards. And Gabe Thielen and Ryan Diltz each had a 12-yard catch. Rollman caught four passes for 11 yards. Colin Smith led the defense with 10 tackles and a sack. Ryan Diltz had eight, Mark Dugan, and Devin Gomez-Smith had five. Rollman had four, Cal Hawkins, and Brock Rice had three. So we talked about this game last week, thinking that the game within the game would be Ryle's defense against Dixie's offense. And I really like Dixie's game plan here. And if you were at the game or you watched the game, you saw the contrasting coaching game plans. Dixie really wanted to slow this game down. I mean, they were going in and out of the huddle, trying to use up every second on the play clock to shorten the game. When Ryle had the ball, they wanted to go. It was no huddle or right out of the huddle to get that thing going. So contrasting styles going against each other. And Dixie looked great early in the first half, coming out and Landers made a couple of big plays to score touchdowns. Yep. My understanding was, from talking to people on the sidelines, and... I can be corrected. I'm sure someone will send you a Facebook message about this if I'm wrong. That Dixie's kicker was unavailable because he played on the soccer team and they were still in the regional playing well, for the championship on Saturday. And that's why they had to go for two-point conversions. That is my understanding from the conversations I had on the sideline. If I'm wrong, please send Steve a message and tell him he's wrong. No, I'm wrong. You're supposed to laugh at that, Steve. I am laughing. I just wanted to say, why send me a message? Because people send you messages all the time on Facebook. I'm not a big Facebook guy. So. Me neither. Yeah, you can get Steve on Facebook. So Ryle has won six of last seven, now six and two. And you mentioned the playoffs and the ramifications. If they beat SK next week, they get a home game in the first round of the playoffs. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so. Possibly you, two. You think back to the recent history of Ryle and Dixie here. 
Dixie had knocked Ryle out of the playoffs the last two years. So you got to think when Ryle showed up to Edgewood that they had that in the back of their mind that we need to get this win to set ourselves up not only for the playoffs, but maybe get a little bit of revenge for what's happened the last couple of years. Thought it was a really well-played game. Uh, it was really enjoyable to watch the intensity. I talked about that. It felt like a playoff game. Both coaches told me pregame to them it felt like a playoff game to kind of see that intensity even though it's still just mid-October, was a lot of fun to watch. Look, the offensive numbers aren't big. They don't always have to be big for Ryle to win. We've seen this defense right now. You think about some of the teams they played recently. They held Louisville St. Xavier to 13 points. We know how good of a program that is. Mm -hmm. We know how good Dixie's offense can be. They held them to 12 points. So Ryle, we know, can win in a lot of ways, and they won this game with defense. Jackson Bell. Gabe Savage combining for 22 tackles. That linebacking room at Ryle is outstanding. And then you see a lot of different guys starting to produce. And it's a lot of the same names that Jace Hardens, Gabe Savage, Nathan Yowen combining to run for nearly 200 yards. But Caden Gardner is a guy that really caught my eye in this game. Three catches, interception, looks like a guy who can really contribute to a team, especially as they're getting towards the playoffs here. But I was really impressed by Ryle and the different ways they can win. I saw them against Highlands. I saw them against Dixie. They won these games in different ways. And now with a chance here in the final two weeks to wrap up a great regular season and get themselves ready for the playoffs, playing SK next week, and then finishing with an intriguing game against Cubcat to end the year, which I'm looking forward to that game as well. But as for Dixie, uh, they lost Pierce Roman in the fourth quarter here. And you talk about a one-possession game, a one-point game. He's one of their, what, two or three best players yes. on the team. So not to have him in the fourth quarter is a big difference maker. Dixie, we've talked about it, keeps going win-loss, win-loss. They're now 4-4 four and four with Campbell County and Scott to finish out the year. Both coaches think they're going to rematch in the playoffs. Ryle and Dixie, it'll be a lot of fun because round one was only a one-point difference, and uh, it was a great game in Edgewood. Covenant Catholic, 8, Highland, 7. It was a defensive showdown in Fort Thomas and a hard-fought game by both teams. Highlands got on the board first with 112 left in the third quarter on a play that can only be described as crazy. A high snap near the 20 that turned into a fumble that continued towards the goal line, which wasn't possessed until Henry King headed in the end zone. The extra point made it 7 to nothing, where it would stay until late in the fourth quarter with Cuffcat driving. Preston Agee's 33-yard run to the Highlands' four-yard line set up an Owen Lean touchdown. Braden Collins scored the two-point conversion to make it 8-7, to but Highlands wasn't finished. Charlie Noon led the Birds down the field, including a huge 4th and 10 pass to Carson Class, which put the Birds in field goal reins. Davis Burley's 30-yard field goal attempt would be blocked by Trevor Wilson, then picked up by A.G. and returned deep into the Highlands territory, where the game would end following a victory formation kneel down. Reed Hummel rushed 12 times for 99 yards. Preston A.G. rushed 15 times for 75 yards. Braden Collins had three carries for 24 yards. Zion Mason had 18 yards on two carries. Dallas Worth had a seven-yard run, and Owen Lean rushed for six yards. Nick Boydston and A.G. both had a 10-yard catch. Aiden Jones had 11 tackles. Rob Sampas had six. Collins and Worth had five. Colin Gastrite had four tackles, two for loss and a sack. David Sullivan and Trevor Wilson also had four tackles. I didn't get stats for Highlands, but I did see where Charlie Noon was 7 of 13 for 97 yards and rushed for 92 yards. Yeah, those 92 yards on 24 carries. So they were grinding through Charlie, and it kind of felt like a grind for three quarters in this game. And it was funny. I got there in the second quarter, and I watched the second quarter in the halftime, and I was asking people, did I miss any plays? 
was there anybody close to scoring? Like, man, you didn't miss much. And I said to somebody, I said, look, I expected a low-scoring game. I didn't expect no scoring. It was no scoring yeah. through a half mm-hmm. and into the third quarter until that wild play you talked about where Cubcast snapped the ball over Evan Pitzer's head and it became a wild scramble and Henry King recovered in the end zone. And you thought maybe in a game like this, it was going to take something crazy like that, either A, to win it, or B, just to wake the teams up a little bit. And what really stood out to me was because, yeah, for about two and a half quarters, maybe even three quarters, this game was like begging for A.J. Mayer and Jared Lorenzen to walk through the door and yeah. start lighting it up in yeah. Fort Thomas, you know, like they the used old to. Days. But what really impressed me, and sometimes you see this in sports, and I know you probably experienced this as a coach, when the urgency picks up, in a game, fourth quarter, and you know the end's coming, the, the play starts to pick up. And the kids started executing more and played with more energy and more urgency. And the game really kicked in at the fourth quarter. And we and saw, you could see that. We saw different teams yeah, in the fourth quarter. We did. And that happens. Rivalry, you know, teams trying to win and, and trying to improve seasons. And it felt like two teams who really started playing better football in the fourth quarter. And what's interesting about... The Covcat touchdown when they made it seven to six is they were lining up for the extra point with less than three minutes to go. There was the thought like, I don't know, do you want to take this thing to overtime and try to win it there? Or are you going to try to win it with a two point conversion? Eddie Eviston sent out the kicking unit. Highlands got called for jumping offside, so he took the extra yard and decided to go for two, and that's how they won the game eight to seven. And I don't know if you saw the video of the blocked field goal and Covcath running down the sidelines. And I pointed it out on the show. And look, I've been around Eddie a long time from when he won at Newcat and now where he is at Covcath. And it's not very often you see emotion, much emotion from Eddie, maybe even a smile on the sideline, even when they win a state championship. When they were running down the sideline, he was running with them, ran onto the field, was hugging his players. Look, it's well known what happened with Eddie and his family, the big loss they had uh, last week with with Eddie's brother passing away from ALS. And um, to see that emotion to for, for Covcat to give him a moment, maybe just to forget about all that kind of stuff and enjoy something for a little bit was, was kind of cool to see. And I, I know the guys at Highlands got it as well because of, you know, he and Bob have a bit of a history yeah. as well. And they embraced after the game, Bob Spire and, and Ed, Eddie Eviston, uh, so for the Eviston family and for Covcath, a, a big moment, an emotional night for them. Um, but for, for Covcath, the question going forward would be the quarterback situation. Uh, we, all, we all know Evan took a really big hit on that scramble. But they, they looked more settled even before that play with Preston Agee at quarterback. Look, this is a big moment, right, for Evan Pitzer, a sophomore, to go into this big rivalry game and playing at Highlands. When A.G. was in, and look, it wasn't anything fancy. You know what it is when Preston A.G.'s in there. It's downhill. It's coming at you. But they just looked more settled. And he can throw the ball a little bit better than I thought he could. So I don't know what Covcat's going to do with the quarterback situation going forward. Obviously, Evan Pitzer's done enough in practice, done a lot in practice to earn his spot as a starting quarterback. But A.G., kind of gave them a different element. They moved the ball better with him at quarterback. He's also a senior. And he's a senior. In this game. And he might Mm -hmm. be the best athlete on the team, at least best football player, all-around football player on the team. So just having the ball in his hand, they looked a little bit more settled. Uh, Charlie Noon, you mentioned it. What Um, a game he played. Gosh, he took so many hits. He had the ball every single play, and he he drove them down. 
He drove them down to the Cubcath red zone, including a fourth and 10. They had fourth and 10 at Cubcath 35 with less than a minute to go. And he threw a dart for a first down to get them into field goal range. So again, that urgency I talked about, you're back against the wall. You got to make a play. He drove them down, gave them a chance. And uh, I think that speaks a lot about Charlie Noon. Eight to seven. I mean, it's, it's two games here. The Ryle Dixie. Cubcath Highlands, the two rivalries, the two big games, both came down to one points, and we might see rematches in the playoffs, which I think is exciting. And I did find the Highlands stats here. They are published this morning. Sam Robinson was the only other player that rushed for positive yards. He had eight carries, 21 yards. Carson Class had two catches for 30 yards, including the big one in the fourth. Davis Hennegardner had a 21-yard catch. Clayton Lloyd had, a, had two catches for 14 yards. And Sam Robinson had uh, two catches for five yards. So it just shows you right there, you know, Charlie Noon, the importance in this game. And for this team, and, and I know that they've had Brody Banky as well in there with Charlie, but Charlie is just such a natural athlete. Not that anybody else isn't, but just the importance that he has to this team. That was the first time I've seen Brody Banky, by the way. That kid's a He's a big moose. dude. Yeah, that's a big dude. And they went to him because Cubcath had a goal line stand in the third quarter where Highlands had the ball down to the two-yard line, first and goal, and Cuffcast stood him up. They went to Banky on yeah. fourth down. I remember looking and said, give the ball to him. <laughs> I'm not sure who's going to tackle him. But Cuffcast did. They made the and big goal line I didn't put in there, but they had the defensive stand yeah. on four plays. And that was the big changing point of the yeah, game. So Cuffcast had the goal line stand. Then they got a big run, and then the play happened with Pitzer, and mm-hmm. that's when the whole game kind of changed. So the whole third quarter, fourth quarter was a lot of fun. It was wild, and it sets up what I hope, I hope is a rematch in the playoffs because round one, even though there wasn't much offense, the intensity, the excitement, the urgency of the game was real, and I enjoyed it. Beachwood 62, Lloyd 6. The Tigers rolled to 8-0 while putting up 471 yards of offense while allowing 23 yards of offense to the Jugs. They remain second in the 2A RPI behind Lexington Christian. Cameron Hergett was 8 of 12 for 242 yards, and he actually rushed for positive yards this week, 65, and he accounted for six touchdowns. Hergett started the Beachwood scoring on an 11-yard touchdown run in the first quarter. After a three and out for Lloyd, Parker Mason returned the punt 62 yards to the crib and a 13 to nothing lead. Herget would then find Avery Courtney for a 51-yard touchdown pass to make it 20 to nothing. Mitch Berger got in on the action with a 75-yard touchdown reception after that to make it 27 to nothing, which was the score at the end of the first quarter. On their first possession in the second, Herget found Brady Moore for a 25-yard touchdown to make it 34 to nothing. Liam McCormick's seven-yard touchdown made it 40 to nothing, and Brady Moore's eight-yard touchdown catch just before the half gave Beachwood a 47-0 lead at the break. Lloyd's Quentin Jones returned the second-half kickoff to the house to make it 47-6, but Alex Courtney's 14-yard touchdown run made it 54-6. Xander Riegler's two-yard touchdown run in the fourth made it 60-6, and Landon Johnson's two-point conversion finished scoring for the Tigers. Alex Courtney rushed five times for 81 yards. Xander Riegler ran five times for 65 yards. Mitch Berger had a seven-yard run and the 75-yard touchdown catch. Parker Mason caught two passes for 70 yards. Avery Courtney had two catches for 58 yards. Brady Moore had two catches for 32 yards. Ben Meyer had two catches for 16 yards. And Liam McCormick had the seven-yard touchdown catch for Lloyd. Landon Bishop had four carries for 27 yards. 
And Amari Riley had five carries for 15 yards. John Krem had four tackles. Evander Abrams, Tyler Copeland, and Yuri Collins-Comer all had three. With the 62-6 win, Beachwood now leads the state of Kentucky in average scoring margin of victory. As expected. That's kind of what I expected this year from Beachwood as not only one of the best teams in their class, but maybe one of the best teams in the entire state. And I'll mm-hmm. take the maybe out. They definitely are. Beachwood's 8-0. Aggregate score of 348-55 to now through eight games. That's crazy. That's unreal. So Cam Hergett, and I know we've kind of danced around it a little bit and maybe even discussed it, the whole idea of him winning Mr. Football again here. Uh, he's putting up even better numbers this year. 300 total yards, six touchdowns in this game. I haven't looked at the landscape around Kentucky to see who else might be in that conversation, but I hope I hope the people who do vote look at Cameron Hergett's resume almost anonymously as opposed to looking at it as a guy who won it last year and we want to give the award to someone else. I think it should be on merit, and it shouldn't be any politics involved. That's all I'll say about that. I think if Cam Hergett deserves it, he should win it again. The touchdown catches by Mitchell Berger, Avery Courtney, Liam McCormick, two for Brady Moore. These are the names we talk about with Beachwood. These are the kind of guys that helped them win a state championship and could help them win a state championship again this year. The number to me that's wild is nearly 500 total yards and what was this, a running clock setting? Yeah. So to have that kind of offensive output in a running clock is really impressive. Xavier Campbell's another guy I want to shout out for Beachwood. Another sack, 10 sacks this year in eight games, tied for fifth in the state in that stat category. As for Lloyd, five straight losses now for Lloyd, two and six, Holy Cross next week. And holy cow, Holy Cross had a week this week, so that one looks even better next week for Lloyd to try to bounce back against HC. Cooper, 34, Boone County nothing. The Jags pick up their third win in a row and move to 6-2 and two on a three-touchdown night from senior quarterback Drew Worth. Drew was 12 of 20 for 187 yards. Brendan Ty had 10 carries for 118 yards and scored on a 45-yard touchdown run early in the second quarter. Worth's first touchdown pass was a 25-yarder to Alex Turner on their first possession. He then threw a 33-yard touchdown pass to Nathan Gamble to put the Jags up 14 to nothing after one. Worth hit Jack Loniker for a three-yard touchdown pass with just under five minutes remaining in the half to give Cooper a 28-0 lead. Three minutes later, Loniker would strike again with a one-yard touchdown run. Drew Worth would convert the two-point play with a pass to Austin Alexander to wrap up the Cooper scoring. Austin Alexander had four catches for 60 yards. Nathan Gamble had three catches for 54 yards. Jack Loniker had two catches for 37 yards. And Alex Turner had the 25-yard catch for Boone. Elijah Jonathan had a 49-yard catch. Michael Moore had a 25-yard catch. Sam Brown ran seven times for 16 yards. Brown, Desmond Hopkins, and Braden McCarty each had six and a half tackles. Maury Kenny had five and a half. And Divion Davis had three. Nathan Gamble stepping up with 54 yards and a touchdown. The baby chief. <laughs> it was funny when I was out there for the Drew War story last month. Coaches were really riding Nathan Gamble, coaching him hard. It's good to see him out there making plays. I know his dad's excited about it. His dad was really excited to hear him shout it out the first time oh, he on was? the podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, he walked right by, by me in the Connor Cooper game. Didn't say anything. So oh, come on. There now. you go. Just say Next Chief. Next time I'm going to omit him. Say Chief. Say Fred. He'll turn to either <laughs> one. He has like seven names. You can call him anything no, you I'm want. I'm just joking. Yeah. So 
What's interesting to me about Cooper is, and the big picture is, they're six and two, three straight wins. Again, having a great year, they finish with Highlands and Butler the next two weeks. So, a good chance here for Cooper to keep this thing going and maybe even finish eight and two in the regular season. But you think back to the game against Cuffcath. Ever since the four overtime game, and when you have a result like that, and you almost won a game that big and in that fashion, your team can respond in one of two ways. You can kind of put the tail between your legs. We lost. Man, go home. And that can kind of start to snowball a little bit. Or that can make you refocus. And in this case, maybe even re-believe in what you are and what you can do. So since that four-overtime game against Cuffcath, they responded with 51 points on offense, 43 points on offense, 34 points on offense, and three blowout wins. That, to me, is coaching. That to me is character, and that to me is why Cooper right now feels like a team who not only is having a great regular season, I think can be very dangerous in a wide-open 5A in Northern Kentucky. It also shows the leadership and the maturity of their team. Yeah, the character. Mm -hmm. I think that speaks a lot to, and I met Drew Worth. I know he's a leader on the team. He's a quarterback. He's a guy guys are going to rally around. So when you have moments like that where, man, the season feels like it hits a low point. You get you get kicked in the gut there with that four-overtime loss, and they game that Cooper had several chances to win. You rebound like this, I think that says a lot about you, not only as a football player, but as a person. I think that's going to uh, really play well here for Cooper the final couple of weeks. Boone County, four straight losses, drops them to three and six. They do finish with Tate's Creek, who feels winnable. Tate's Creek's only got two wins this season, so a chance for Boone County to get a win before the playoffs start to finish the regular season, maybe with a four and six record. But again, Cooper shut out win. that offense looks great. And they've really rallied since that loss to Cuffcath. Holmes 58, Harrison County seven Holmes picks up their sixth win and second district win on another big night from their offense, including back-to-back solid games from quarterback Miguel Garcia. Miguel was four or four passing for 54 yards and threw a five yard touchdown pass to Tay Calloway. Garcia rushed the ball 10 times and scored on touchdown runs of 10 yards and 5 yards. Curtez Hill had a 50-yard touchdown run and returned the second-half kickoff 90 yards for a touchdown. He rushed 5 times for 92 yards. Tate Calloway had 7 carries for 72 yards. Marion Arnold had 9 carries for 65 yards and touchdown runs of 8 yards and 18 yards. David Commodore had a 59-yard touchdown run in the fourth to complete the scoring for the Dogs. The Holmes defense held Harrison County to negative 10 rushing yards on 18 carries. Miguel Garcia had an interception on defense. I'm glad you said that at the end about the Holmes defense because that's what's been so outstanding all year to me about Holmes and the way they're winning games. We know about all the offensive talent they have and the fireworks they can do running the football, but this team all season long has played winning football because of their defense. It feels like a tone setter to me. They've now won five of their last six. They're now six and two this year. And Holmes now, with me, it's seven and eight win seasons are just expected. That's the norm, and that's the hat tip to the coaching staff and all the players at Holmes High School that this is just kind of a train that just keeps rolling down in Covington where Holmes has these great regular seasons and just keeps winning football games. Really looking forward to next week and what I think is a really big game for both Holmes and Scott. That'll be a lot of fun. That was their final home game, I believe, for for Holmes in this for the year. They play at Scott at Bellevue to finish up the season. 
Bigger games coming here in the next couple of weeks for Holmes as they get ready for the playoffs. But again, that defense, that running game, you, you start to talk about the building blocks of, of winning games in the playoffs and doing damage as the weather starts to change. You show up with that like that 85 Bears mentality of yep. we're going to punch you in the mouth defensively, then we're going to run it down your throat with sweetness. That's what Holmes has right here, man, with that offense and that defense and that coaching staff. Holy Cross, 47, Newport, 14, a big win for the Indians and a big night for LeVar Jones, who rushed 21 times for 176 yards and four touchdowns. LeVar had three touchdowns in the first half and scored his fourth at the end of the third quarter to put Holy Cross up 40-8. to eight. Landon Phillips had five carries for 37 yards and a five-yard touchdown run mid-first to kick off the scoring. Javier Eisen was 6 of 12 for 80 yards and rushed for 15 yards at a touchdown. Cade Lemkel had three catches for 49 yards. Landon Phillips had a 17-yard catch, and Javier Ward had two catches for 14 yards, but had a pick six early in the fourth quarter to score the Indians' final touchdown for Newport. Ethan Jefferson was 13 of 27 for 157 yards and threw a 59-yard touchdown pass to Michael King, who caught five passes for 114 yards. Andrew Rath had nine carries for 41 yards and a one-yard touchdown run. Derek Mays had two catches for 18 yards, and Caleb Thompson had two catches for 13 yards. Ethan Jefferson rushed 18 times for 17 yards, and Michael Martin rushed for 11 yards. Robert Sanders and Michael Sebastian both had 10 tackles. Derek Mays had six. Kyler Jones, Andrew Rath, and Caleb Thompson each had four. Mays also had an interception that he returned for 26 yards. Whoa! Holy cross! Holy cow! Their first win since August snaps a six-game losing streak, and to do this in this fashion, you know, we have a text chain going on Friday night, Steve, myself, and Jeremy Ziegler, and this was the one we were talking about as this score kept coming in. Mm -hmm. And this was shocking because Newport had been playing really good football yeah. recently, had a couple of wins in a row, and then Holy Cross, who, you know, you think about it, and you're like, wow, they they were 1-6 before this game. But then you look at their schedule, and you talk about a team who's been battle-tested. This is what they played recently. Scott, Brossard, Newcath, Holmes, Beachwood. So to show up into this game, you knew these kids were ready to play because they've seen some of the best in Northern Kentucky so far this year. LeVar Jones, man, the Northern Kentucky Greyhound, 176 yards and four touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns as a team for Holy Cross. But the absolute star of this game, Braden Niemeyer. I mean, get him all the Moonrise Donuts. Have you heard this stat line? Ten tackles. Six tackles for loss, four sacks. Wow. That's like the Derek Thomas game from the yeah, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, stats weren't updated when I was writing this, so I was getting it off the digital scout, which I never trust the defensive stats from the digital scout Yeah, because everybody's just more concerned about the offense, so I'm, I'm glad that you got that. Six tackles for loss, four sacks. The guy made 10 plays in the backfield. He's now got 10 sacks on the year. He's now tied with Xavier Campbell from most sacks in Northern Kentucky and tied for fifth overall in the state of Kentucky. Holy Cross had six sacks as a defense. What a night for the defense. Javier Ward made a play, as he always does with the pick six. It does snap two poor, uh, Newport's two-game winning streak. Ethan Jefferson, a guy that we talk about a lot on the show, still had some pretty decent numbers, but Holy Cross really bottled up that Newport ground game, only 66 yards on 24 carries for Newport. So that's the hat tip right here to Holy Cross. I do want to shout out Michael King, who I think is one of the more underrated great football players in Northern Kentucky. Yep. Had a really nice game again in this game, but Holy Cross, 
after playing that really difficult schedule, showed up ready to play in this game. Braden Niemeyer, LeVar Jones, they should get all the donuts at Moonrise for the next week for this performance against Newport. Scott High, 21, Boyd County, 16. The Eagles win their fourth in a row and are now 3-0 in district play, heading into the all-important matchup with Holmes on Thursday. Gus Howlett was 13 of 19 for 173 yards and threw touchdown passes to Riley Huff and Nolan Hunter. Howlett rushed for 64 yards and a touchdown in the road victory. Benny Hill rushed 13 times for 119 yards and a score. Huff finished with four catches for 73 yards. Hunter also had four catches for 63 yards. Griffin Henderson had two catches for 19 yards. Cam Patterson and Jordan Johnson both had 10-yard catches. Sage Lally led the defense with 13 tackles. Zach Shepard had nine. Emmanuel Mills had six. Jordan Johnson and Griffin Henderson had five. Henderson also had a sack. Aaron Cummins and Zach Weir had four. And Cam Patterson and Desani Lane had two. I was looking at the lockers here in the basketball locker room i see hunter i see huff i was looking to make sure there weren't any game balls inside those lockers after scoring touchdowns you can make that happen we can make it happen but they also have football lockers so they'd probably be there too yeah gus hallett mr mullet man i tell you what I haven't had a chance to look at his game-by-game box score to see what he's done recently, but it seems like every single week he's scoring three or four touchdowns and leading the Scott offense now to what is a fourth straight overall win, third straight district win. I can't wait to talk about the Scott Holmes game a little bit later in the show when we talk about this week's upcoming games. But Benny Hill is a guy I've always been impressed with whenever I watch Scott play. And it was nice to see him put up some star-like numbers with 119 yards rushing and a touchdown in this game. Kind of broke out a little bit. And the Scott story to me, again, is one of the more quiet, consistent, good defenses in Northern Kentucky, holding Boyd County to less than 250 total yards and 16 points. They allow less than 50 rushing yards to Boyd County. The stats say the Boyd County or the Scott defense is one of the better ones in the entire state. They'll be tested this coming week against Holmes, and we'll talk about that. But again, Scott continues to have a great season and the bounce back after that. And we talked about this with Cooper and the loss for Cuffcath and circling the wagons and getting things right. That loss early in the season to Boone County. Since then, Scott has been a completely different football team. And I think Eric Turner deserves a lot of credit for that. The players deserve a lot of credit for that. And Gus Hallett is having what feels like the kind of season that needs to be recognized with some kind of award. I know there are some awards at the end of the year for the Northern Kentucky high school football players. This kid's playing that well right now for Scott High School at quarterback. And I know he plays defense as well. So, you know, he's the kind of guy that's making a difference on both sides of the football. But Well, that's one of the things, the difference between last year and this year is that the really good players are playing both ways. Whereas last year, a lot of them didn't do that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, you see put your best athletes out there and you win football games. And right now, Gus Hallett's one of their best players, and he's certainly helping them win. Simon Kenton, 41, Campbell County, 24. Chase Crone and Jaden Lawson combined for six touchdowns as the Pioneers pick up the win at home. Chase was 13 of 20 for 176 yards and threw two touchdowns and rushed 15 times for 114 yards and two touchdowns. Jaden Lawson had 10 carries for 97 yards and two touchdowns, and had a 58-yard touchdown catch. When Rice had seven carries for 21 yards. Chase Williams had seven catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. 
Luke Morrison had a 20-yard catch. Jackson Galbraith had a 19-yard catch. Zeb San, Wynn Rice, and Gavin Riley also had catches. Josh Bowling had 12 tackles. Chase Gill had eight. Matt Link and Aiden Gill had five. Josh Brophy, who's the best of all Brophies, had four tackles, a sack, and a fumble recovery. His brother Noah is a football official. Is that right? Yeah, Josh is definitely better. And Josh had a great game. Yes, he did. He's the best. Joe Vornbrock also had four. <laughs> Chase Williams had three tackles and an interception that he returned for 23 yards. For Campbell, Nathan Smith was 16 of 27 for 235 yards. He rushed for 49 yards and had two rushing touchdowns. Camden Abel carried the ball 21 times for 66 yards and a touchdown. Jake Fallbush had an 11-yard run. Keegan Hill had nine catches for 158 yards and rushed for nine yards. Kyle Hay had two catches for 42 yards, and Colton People had five catches for 35 yards. Hunter Wiseman had seven tackles and a fumble recovery for the Wolf defense. Mitch McElroy and Skylar Bowen had six. Brian Gunn had five. Creed Marr and Zach Funston had four. Andy Lynn also had four tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Before I brag on Simon Kenton here, because to the winner goes the podcast talk, Campbell County... Uh, has now lost seven straight games. They're now one and seven. They finished with Dixie and Corbin, so they're up against it here the last couple of weeks to end the regular season. But all the names you shouted out and some of the stats you put out there shows to me a team that's still competing. And I want everybody at Campbell County, if they're listening to this, to know that we're noticing, that, that people are noticing that Nathan Smith, the young quarterback, is putting up a lot of yards, putting up great stats. He floored with 300 total yards in this game and two touchdowns. Camden Abel is a guy I've seen play a couple times. He's got some juice out of the backfield. He's a guy I've noticed. Keegan Hill, man, nine catches, yeah. 158 yards. That's a breakout game for him. And the Campbell County defense did make some plays. They had six tackles for loss and a sack in this game. So even though they're not winning games, these kids are playing hard. They're putting up numbers, and they're getting noticed. And I hope that's important to them and the people that follow the Campbell County yeah, football program. I actually program. talked to the Wolf yesterday. Yeah? And I, I mentioned it to him. And what did he say? Well, he was grateful. Good. Uh, I like the way this young quarterback's playing. I like yeah. the way you guys are slinging the ball around. You know, you get these kids that are playing well. And, and the reason I called is that uh, I was at my nephew's birthday party. And um, we were introduced to a young man that's dating my cousin's daughter uh, who plays football for Campbell County. So, of course, we had to give him the death stare. And, the, and then I shot him in the back of the head. Uh, it was like the Zapruder film shot when we were playing Dart Wars or Nerf Wars, whatever you call it. The magic he bullet. Wasn't, he didn't see me, and I was just posted up, and I just shot him right in the side of the back of the head. And... Uh, I called, I called the, yeah, it was all left. back into the left. It, it was, <laughs> he turned around and looked at me and I was like, what do you want me to do, bro? You just, you got to be aware. And uh, my dad said, well, do you play any sports at Campbell? And he said, yeah, I play football. And I said, you play for the Wolf? He said, I don't know what that is. And I was like, <laughs> who are you? So I called the Wolf to find out about this young man. So apparently he's a pretty good kid. So there you go. Good deal. But anyway, I did say something to the Wolf and. I love the Wolf. Yeah, and, and we were both hoping that this game would be a game where these two teams can kind of stretch it out and, and, and showcase a little bit. And they combined for 65 points, so they were able to go out there and some of these guys were able to put up some numbers and, and do some things. And uh, certainly when you talk about Simon Kenton, you start talking about Chase Crone, who, as always, had a great stat line, four total touchdowns. Jaden Lawson. Again, 150 total yards, three touchdowns. Chase Williams is a guy I've mentioned a couple of times. Seven more catches, 73 yards. He's so good, he caught one of Campbell County's passes, too. Had an interception in this game. But Simon Kenton, I mentioned it last week before 
They played Campbell County that I thought they had shown signs of improvement in the last month. And again, now you go into it and you look at it and you start breaking down the season. The last four games, they're 2-2 two and two after starting out 0-4. So certainly have played better football the last month, have gotten their record back to 2-6. and six. And I was just happy to see both of these teams go out there and put up some numbers and really kind of showcase the offensive and, in some cases, the defensive talent these two teams have. Ludlow, 40, Bellevue, nothing. The Panthers get a much-needed win at home and do so on a night where the offense rolled out 486 yards and six touchdowns. Braxton Newborn continues to put up good numbers. He rushed 13 times for 207 yards and had four rushing touchdowns, including one that went for 97 yards. Brogan O'Brien was 9 of 11 for 200 yards and rushed 10 times for 67 yards and a rushing touchdown. Jackson Rice caught three passes for 144 yards and a touchdown. Tommy King caught three passes for 31 yards. Nick Nick Tackett caught two passes for 20 yards. Keaton Moore had two carries for 12 yards. Defensively, Sean Bowling led the tap outs with 18 tackles. Newborn and O'Brien both had 14. Brogan also forced two fumbles and recovered one. Jackson Rice had 13 tackles and recovered a fumble. Dustin Brewer had 12, Matt Brock had 5, and Tommy King had 3. And a fumble recovery for Bellevue. Zach Noonchester rushed 24 times for 163 yards. Logan Allen had 18 carries for 135 yards. Noonchester led the defense with 8 tackles, 1 for loss, and a sack. Bronson Orms had 6 tackles. Braden Corley had 5. Jacob Scott, Jacob Sullivan, and Logan Allen each had 4. Keegan Rizzo had 2 tackles and a fumble recovery. You just wonder how much Ludlow had been waiting for a moment mm-hmm. like this, not only to get Braxton Newborn unleashed, but also just to win a football game. Yeah. It had been since August since they last won, and you think about going to practice every single day and trying to get better and working on game plans and studying and doing everything a high school kid has to do to finally be rewarded with a really good performance and your first win since August has August to be 20th. Big. Yeah. Six-game losing streak before they beat Bellevue in this game. And it's the usual suspects. Brogan O'Brien, 200 yards passing. Braxton Newborn, boy, 207 yards on 13 carries. I guess a 97-yard touchdown helps the average just a little bit. Yeah, four touchdowns in this game. Big game for him. Jackson Rice, big game. Sean Bowling, big game. Newborn, O'Brien, and Rice, not only the big offensive numbers, they combined for more than 40 tackles in this game. So you talk about kids playing both ways and getting it done on both sides of the football. They did that in this game for Bellevue. It's the same guys. And um, that's really impressive because I know when Zach Noonchester puts up stats like this, if I'm a coach for the other team, he's number one on my scouting report. I'm circling him and Logan Allen and saying, guys, don't let this guy beat you. And still he goes out there and has 24 carries, 163 yards, has eight tackles on defense, has a sack. Logan Allen has 135 yards. And Bellevue as a team ran for nearly 300 yeah. yards, so they had success. It's hard to think, like, you run for 300 yards, but you don't score any points, and then you go really deep into the box score, and you see they had three turnovers. And that'll short-circuit any team trying to go for points. So Ludlow, first win since August, newborn backballing, trying to get up to that 1,000-yard season, even though he's been banged up a little bit this year. And it breaks a six-game losing streak for Ludlow. 40-0 shutout win and impressive, And too. here's something I'm going to say about Noonchester and Allen. We talked last week about the Brossard situation some years back when those older kids um, faced with the possibility of not having a season. 
Bellevue was in a similar situation this year into the 11th hour. It was a, a, a late August kind of or mid August kind of deal for them. And, and Logan Allen, Zach Newchester, seniors, leaders, um, pretty much told the athletic department the same thing. We'll find people and we'll do work. And every night they've shown up, they've worked, got stuff done. So, you know, hat tip to them and senior year, they've done what they could. And, yeah. and who knows what kind of dividends that will pay for some of the younger players and the kids in the youth league. You never know. And it's great that they're paying back to to all the teammates that did come out and to the administration who did give them a chance to say, hey, guys, just give us a chance. Let us yeah. play. And then they go out and they ball out the way they have this year. I mean, those two have put up huge numbers throughout the season. I haven't seen And their... I've seen them in person. And I'm telling you, man, those kids can play. Yeah. They can play for anybody around here. I agree. I mean, certainly the numbers bear that out. I would love to see their season totals because I got to think Newchester and Allen combined are over 1,000 yards rushing. I mean, they had 300 yards combined in this game alone. So uh, for those two to go out there, like you said, to, to rally and make sure they have a season, even though they're not winning games – like maybe they hoped to or expected to, but to still go out there and, and get the experience of playing on Friday nights yeah. and have a good time I mean, doing even it, man. Zach was on social media in the summertime. I remember advocating that. Yeah. for people to come out and good for him to yeah, go and do it, it. And, and then back it up and go back it up and play your butt off the yeah. way he has all year long. I got nothing but respect for that. Newport Central Catholic twenty three Dayton six. The Breds moved to six and two. Winners of five in a row. Demetric Welch had 18 carries for 179 yards and a four-yard touchdown run. Luke Runyon had four carries for 25 yards with a one-yard rushing touchdown and caught three passes for 26 yards and had a 14-yard touchdown catch in the first. Matthew Landrum caught four passes for 101 yards. Nick Rouse had a 36-yard catch. Welch caught two passes for 14 yards, and Dom Morgan also caught a pass. Quinton Gilliam and Dom Morgan both had seven and a half tackles for the Breds. Quinton had one and a half tackles for loss, and Morgan had two and a half in a sack. Nathan DuPont had seven tackles, two for loss. Luke Runyon had three tackles and an interception. Luke Brockman and Nick Schaefer also had three tackles and a tackle for loss. Grant Powell had two and a half, one for loss and a sack for the Green Devils. Caden Caraway scored the lone Devil touchdown on a 33-yard catch in the second quarter. Russell McIntyre was 7 of 10 for 97 yards and rushed for 33 yards. Preston Baggett rushed for 12 yards. Brian Lewis had three catches for 31 yards. Maverick Katakora had a 30-yard catch, and Braden Williams had an eight-yard catch. Caleb Crutchfield had nine tackles, one for loss. Eric Simpson had six. Dylan Davis had five. Isaiah Lovins and Caden Caraway both had four. Eric Jimenez and Keith Souter had three. So Preston Baggett, by the way, now has one of the best final quarter nicknames. We call him No Diggity. No Diggity? You know why? No doubt. I got to bag it up. Oh, God. <laughs> we did find out on Twitter that Dom Morgan is a captain. Captain Morgan. So, Captain Morgan. Yeah, so a couple of fun uh, little asides from that game. I also heard that after his 11 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss and sack, that Dom Morgan drove home in a Tesla. Come on. Could you imagine? Uh, yes. Be kind of cool. It would be amazing. You'd get the... Best prom date. I was going to say, he might be able to get a girlfriend at that, that point. That new calf with that kind of a ride. Mm-hmm. Five straight now for the Breds. It's what they do, man. Six and two, having a great second half of the regular season. Colton Smith, again, young quarterback, putting up numbers. Demetric Welch, 
He's one of the stars of Northern Kentucky this year, one of the breakout stars for Newcath this year. Keeps putting up big numbers. Matthew Landrum, a second straight 100-yard receiving game, now 269 receiving yards in his last two games. Newcat finishes with Dayton next week, and then the big one against Beachwood to end the regular season when they get their shot against the Champs and Cam Hergett. Dayton, in this case, drops to 4-4. Four and four. I'm actually very impressed with how Dayton played in this game because Newcat's got a great program, a team who typically goes far in the state every single year. Dayton made this a four-quarter game, 23-6, to six, and right now at a 4-4 four and four record, but I get it, to the victor goes the podcast energy, so... The Brads get this one done, five straight, six and two. And again, looking like a team to me that could do a lot of damage in the playoffs when we get there next month. Bishop Rossert, 15, Paris, six. The Mustangs go to nine and zero and lock up the one seed in District 5, securing home playoff games through the first two rounds of the playoffs. Brossard allowed more yards than they gained Friday, but their defense held the Greyhounds to zero points until 20 seconds remained in the game. Jacob Light scored the lone offensive touchdown on fourth and goal from the one with 9.36 to play in the second quarter. That score ended a 99-yard drive. After the Dave Govan two-point conversion, the Mustangs led 8 to nothing in the fourth quarter. With Paris backed up near their own end zone, Austin Shadler blocked a punt in the end zone, which was then recovered by Govan in the end zone for a touchdown. Andrew Schwartz capped off the scoring with the extra point that made it 15 to nothing. The victory not only gives Brossert the top seed for the second straight year, but it was also Coach Wiggins' 50th of his career. Jed Martin rushed 13 times for 50 yards. Jacob Light rushed 11 times for 44 yards. He was 1-3 of three with a 29-yard completion to Sam Willicke. David Govan rushed four times for 18 yards. Austin Shadler led the Mustangs with nine tackles, a sack, and a blocked punt. Derek Martin had eight tackles. Eli Tweehus, Evan Orth, and Jake Light each had six. Jed Martin, Alex Reese, and Caleb Lukes all had five, and Thomas Sayers had four tackles, one for loss, and a sack. So you remember what the weather was like on Friday night. Paris does not yeah, have it was field a turf. Quagmire. I saw pictures. Yes, and that is the word I used and led to one of my favorite moments in the final quarter on Friday night. If you haven't seen it, find my Twitter and enjoy that little video. I couldn't even get the line out without laughing. <laughs> That's what Jeremy and I said during that game. So yeah, 15 to 6, although the score looks close. Paris scored, I believe, in the final minute after being down 15 to nothing. So it maybe wasn't as close as the score looks. But man, this is happening. 9-0, and perfect regular season, is one win away. And it's against Pendleton County, who only has one win this year. So, man, this is happening for Bishop Brossard. They're chasing down that perfect regular season to get to 10-0. Uh, aggregate score this year. Now, I do this with Beachwood and Brossard every week just because it makes me laugh and makes me smile. Is 231 to 28. They've allowed 28 points in nine games this season. And the defense has given up what? 26? Yeah. Because they had the. Not even, what, 22? Or is it 22? Because the one defensive touchdown yeah. that was scored against uh, their offense. Um, so, yeah. And the thing for me with Brossard. And uh, before I get there, did you notice, by the way, Jacob Light's new Twitter name? Uh, the fake Jed Martin? Fabulous. Or is it the fake Jed Martin? The fake Jed Martin, because yeah. Jed Martin is the real Jed Martin, mm-hmm. and now Jacob Light is the... I love it. Well, remember a couple weeks ago, someone, we were talking about that. Mm-hmm. You said, I don't. I wonder who the fake Jed Martin is. Yeah. And then a day later, 
I get a notification on my phone that the fake Jed Mart <laughs> was following me, and I was like, who did this? High school kids are amazing. You get to work with them every day. Uh, your life is outstanding, and uh, uh, high school kids crack me up. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, just wait, brother. A couple more years. I get them in small doses. Yeah, you I, tell me how it well, is every yeah. day. I, I get them in small doses, yeah. so I, I don't have to, yeah, you know. Okay, so the thing for me with, with Bishop Prosser, we've been talking all season long about the perfect regular season. Can they get there? They're 9-0. They're one win away. They'll be favored to get to 10-0. The question now then pivots to, is this team built to win in the playoffs? Because you look at what they've done in recent seasons. If I remember right, they couldn't play in the playoffs last year because yeah. of COVID. Yes. So they had it stripped from them. So you're yes. talking about a hungry program ready to get back there. Couldn't do it in 2020. Lost in the second round in 2019. Then first round exits in 18, 17, 16, and 15. Can this team, are they built to win multiple games in the playoffs? You know, we talked about other teams who are built to win in the playoffs because of their run game. And their defense, those are two things that are going to show up every single week for Bishop Brossard. The real Jed Mart, the fake Jed Mart, that coaching staff, there's a hunger about the program, and that defense will travel. I do believe this team is built to win multiple games in the playoffs. So you start talking about a possible 10-0 regular season and could win multiple games in the playoffs, you're talking about what I think is the best season in Bishop Brossard football history. So we need a bracket. I guess after next week, when everything is done, I just need to see how many games it takes to see a Brossert new cath. Yeah. 1A showdown. Showdown. At the MAC or at Newport High. Shoot, play it at Paul Brown Stadium. That's fine. We'll fill it up. Well, you might. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could have that kind of pool. I would love but to no, see it. I, I'm looking forward to that because those are two teams. I would teams. say neither coaches probably want to see that. But probably not. Yeah. Probably not, but they've obviously have separated themselves as yeah. two of the better teams in Class A in the entire state of Kentucky. They're both ranked in the top 10. I, I think Newcath, the AP poll, has them a little bit higher. But Bishop Brossard, man, just, you know what, just keep flying under that radar a little bit. Just keep winning games, and I would love to see those two teams go out in the playoffs. It would be a lot of fun for me. In the final game from Week 9, Walton Verona 34, Shawnee 8. This is the fourth win in a row for the Bearcats, and they sweep district play. Tyson Beach rushed for 152 yards on 10 carries and scored two rushing touchdowns, but caught two passes for 36 yards and had a touchdown reception as well. Wiley Baker also got into the end zone again on an eight-yard touchdown catch. Will Folk had two carries for 30 yards. Chris Harward ran the ball five times for 28 yards, and Ben Teepee had five carries for 24 yards. Max Montgomery was four of 10 for 55 yards. Jackson Smith was one of three and threw a 27-yard completion. Trey Hatmaker caught two passes for 38 yards. Carter Birch led the Barthcats with eight tackles, four for loss, and two and a half sacks. Logan Ryan had eight tackles, three and a half for a loss and a sack and a forced fumble. Nolan Art had seven tackles, one and a half for loss and a sack. Nick Alexander had four tackles, one for loss and a sack. Gavin Hunter also had a fumble recovery for the defense. We talked about it in the beginning. What a job by Jeff Barth. Yeah. He's had a lot of injuries and has moved a lot of different pieces to different spaces on this team, and they've responded with four straight wins, now six and three. Obviously, the big difference maker for this football team all season long has been Tyson Beach, this mm -hmm. guy, every single week. I would love to go through his game log and see if he either has 100 total yards or a touchdown in every game 
And a lot of times he has both. In this game, he flirted with 200 total yards and three touchdowns. So we can't say enough about Tyson Beach. And the cool thing is we get to see him again next year because I think he's an underclassman. The Walton Verona defense, though, in this game, I mean, they were running free into the backfield. You know that scene from Vacation when Clark Griswold and Rusty are running to Wally World? Yes. I mean, that's what it must have looked like for the Walton Verona defense going into the backfield. They had... 14 and a half tackles for loss and six yeah, sacks in this game. I mean, you make 20 plays defensively in the backfield. I mean, you're getting in there and just creating havoc and destroying teams. That's really impressive. Um, so six and three and a good chance to get to seven and three playing a one win team next week. What a great job by Jeff Barth, by Tyson Beach, by the young quarterback, by the old quarterback going to yeah. a new position and making plays in Trey Hatmaker. So, uh, a, a great second half of the season for Walton Verona. We're used to them finishing with winning records. They're going to do that again this year. And now some momentum before they enter the playoffs. Look ahead at Week 10 games. The first, Joe Holmes at Scott on Thursday night. What do you think? Man, so I really want to see Scott up against a team of Holmes caliber and see if this winning streak and the better football they played the last five, six weeks is real. And they're going to get a shot here against Holmes. And if I'm... Correct. There are implications on not only district but but home field in this game. Is that yeah. correct? Yes. Scott wins. It's a winner take all for them. Okay. So huge game, huge game. And yeah. I like the fact that it's showcased on Thursday night to give yeah, them a little I bit agree. of a showcase stage. And this is a game I'm really looking forward to because you've got that that Scott defense all year long, which is up there in the state, one of the highest ranked rushing defenses against Holmes, who's one of the best rushing offenses in the state. That's kind of the game within the game on this one. Then you got the Holmes defense, who's so good, and Gus Hallett, who's slinging it around. So you got strength on strength on both sides, and it's going to play out here on Thursday night in a really important game with a lot of ramifications. And I, I think that game itself might be the biggest game of the weekend, and they're playing it on Thursday night. Newport will travel to Beachwood. Newport Catholic will travel to Bellevue. Dixie will travel to Campbell County. And a big game in 1A, Ludlow will travel to Dayton. This one has big playoff implications on. This is for pretty much for the two seed, I'm pretty sure. It does, and I made a note here about this game in the last couple of years, and I'm going to fill a bust until I find it. Okay, so Ludlow ended Dayton's season last year in the playoffs 39-20. Ludlow has won nine straight in this series. But, but Dayton, Dayton's having a good year. Yeah, And they just took New Cat to four quarters, didn't get run off the field. They're 4-4. Four and four. And Ludlow's coming with some mojo. The shutout went over Bellevue. Braxton Newborn got loose a, bit, a little bit. Dayton is playing good football. That is an under-the-radar, to me, big game for those two teams to try to finish up here at the end of the regular season. Holy Cross will travel to Lloyd. Now, let me ask you this. So, Holy Cross, we got Beachwood, Holy Cross, Lloyd, and Newport. So, a Holy Cross win here could lock up the two-seed. Yeah, for them. Yep. And then Newport would be the three, and then Lloyd would be the four because of the head-to-head. The Newport beat the Lloyd head-to-head -head there. And then you start to think about Holy Cross here. You know, you finally yeah. get that taste of success. Sure. And coaches always talk about, can you handle success? Boy, they played their probably most complete game of the season last week and a really impressive win against Newport. Can they capitalize on that success and then win a road game at Lloyd. Bishop Brossert will travel to Pendleton County. 10-0. Walton Verona will travel to Trimble County. Covenant Catholic will travel to Connor. Now, these are the two 5A games, and there are, there's a lot 
of moving things in here with Cuffcath at Connor and then Highlands at Cooper, which is also a really big game too. Um, what do you think here? Yeah, and it's you mentioned those possible first-round matchups in 5A are, are pretty wild, and we've said all season long that we think 5A is just it's, as open as anybody. Oh, yeah. um, you know, Highlands and Cuffcat played to a one-point game. Cuffcat and Cooper played into four overtimes. Connor has the A team. Those kids can jump up and bite you at any given night. So, look, yeah, it's it's. I don't want to say it's a coin flip, uh, but at the same time, we don't know how this thing's going to play out. And I think that's fun. I think it's different. It's nice to have a little parity in 5A this year to have Cooper rise up and, and Connor have those playmakers and, and Highlands and Cuffcat play to a one-point game. Parody's good. I think parody lends itself to really entertaining football. And once we get to the playoffs, those four teams, would it shock you if no. any of those four teams no. came out of this? Yeah, I, I don't think it would shock you. And us. I ran through this scenario last night with somebody. If Connor beats Cuffcath on Friday and Highlands were to beat Cooper, you can see a scenario where Cooper would be the four seed in that district. That's wild. I, I never and, and Cooper is never thought that. Knocking on the door of an undefeated season yeah. so far. So, But, you know, if you got Cuffcath wins and then Cooper wins – It'll be, you know, Cuffcath, Cooper, and then I would imagine Connor and then Highlands just because of the head-to-head. Cuffcath wins, and then Highlands beats Cooper. We have a three-way tie, which will then be decided by the wins from your opponents. I'm pretty sure it's an addition thing over there. What's that line from Austin Powers? My eyes have gone (sighs) cross-eyed. It's unreal. Yeah. I thought I was under the impression that in a three-way tie, the RPI – separated that you've said that before but apparently that's incorrect well i guess not apparently it is incorrect Uh, so i mean if we have the rpi i would think that we would use it for something like that and then basketball that was an rpi right yeah basketball was an rpi would do the tiebreaker but and the final game saturday night simon kenton at ryle this game's actually on tv i think richard skinner's probably on that call i think it is yeah my guy's skinny uh ryle certainly has separated itself as the best Big school team in Northern Kentucky. They, they've earned that moniker, and they have a really big game the final week of the regular season when they play Covcath. Uh, they'll certainly be favored against Simon Kenton, and we, we've seen the Ryle team that's able to win in so many different ways and just keep this momentum going and a team that's proven itself this year. And I found it interesting in my talk with Mike Engler, so we interviewed him live on the show Friday before they played Dixie, and we sat around and chatted for a few minutes after the fact. He really thinks this team is special. He thinks this team really can do damage in 6A. And, you know, and a lot of times coaches know the temperature of a team more than anybody else. And when a coach is honestly telling you he likes this team, he thinks they can do damage in the state, you perk up, you listen, and you trust. And uh, I think this team, with the way they're built, not only offensively but defensively, I think they really can beat you in a lot of ways. And when you have that versatility, um, you're a dangerous team. Even though Class Six A is what it is, it is a monster in Kentucky. Um, but Ryle right now looks like the team most equipped. I think, even though Dixie's right there and they might rematch, I think most equipped to compete at a state level in Six A this year. Final thought. So I was at the Covcath Highlands game and I was at the Ryle Dixie game, and I'm curious. And maybe these are just weird night weather, early time. 
But I also wonder, too, with the availability of watching these games so easily now at our fingertips. The crowds weren't what I expected for the Cuffcath Highlands and Ryle Dixie game. And that might change when we get to the playoffs. And certainly we've seen some crowds this year. The Beachwood yes. Cuffcath crowd was, I mean, they were on top of Kroger trying to watch that game. But it was interesting to me, and I don't know what the theory is. Somebody stopped me at the Cuffcath Highlands game and said, look at the crowd. There's, there's empty seats up there. Typically there's you know five people deep on the fence to watch that game. And look, again, Again, these these are teams who you know aren't ranked number one, number two in the state. Um, you know, aren't the the state champion juggernauts that we've seen from Covcath and Highlands in the past. And maybe that's why people. Oh, I'll wait to the playoff game. Or I'm not going to go tonight. But it was interesting to me, and I'm just theorizing and speaking out loud about maybe why some of the crowds are down. And I know how much you know the gate matters to the high school teams and for people to show up and go to games. But it was just something I noticed. It was interesting to me that two rival games, two really big games, didn't have the huge atmospheres. I would say the weather played a big role in that. Sure. People probably made different plans. And even, even the Dixie-Ryle game, it was hard to get to. You yeah. know, once it's 6 o'clock, you're getting off and work. 6 o'clock going to Dixie Try to get there. It's hard. Union. It's really hard. So, yeah. So, I, you know, again, we've seen huge crowds this year. I, I know the atmospheres will pick up to the playoffs, but I, it was something I noticed. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about was was the the running backs and, 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 the, and the players individually are having such great seasons in Northern Kentucky. And I was going through the stats, and I enjoy looking at how the Northern Kentucky players stack up statewide. And, and some of these names who we've talked about so many times on the show, guys who are going to finish with 1,000-yard seasons or – double-digit touchdowns this year. The Brendan Ties had a huge year. Eli White's had a big year for Cooper. Jed Martin is up now to nearly 1,000 yards and has a chance to, if he has 63 yards, he'll have a 1,000-yard season in his final game. Braxton Newborn, who's been banged up, I think he's only played in six or seven games, he's at nearly 900 yards. Cam Hergett might have a 1,000-yard rushing season as a quarterback and however many throwing well, yards he got, has as then well. you got to say Charlie Noon at that point as well. Charlie Noon is a guy having a huge year. Preston Agee. Taquan Calloway's yeah. having yes. a big year. I mean, so many of these yep. guys, and, and this happens every year, but the, these are these are the names. These are the players. These are the stars of Northern Kentucky. The guys that uh, you know are, are flashing every single Friday night, and I think every now and then you got to step back and you, know, you talk about, the offensive lines and the teammates, the guys who get the mm-hmm. job done for these guys. But but still, when the ball's in your hand and you're the playmaker and you're the guy, these are the guys this year. These are the guys that have really stood out to me. And I just wanted to kind of shout them out and, and pull them out and talk about guys that are going to finish likely with 1,000-yard seasons, probably 10 touchdowns. That's a big-time high school year, and I think they deserve a hat tip, a shout-out, and a little love on the podcast. And we just did that. Yeah, my final thought, you touched on this a little bit earlier. I just want to recognize and acknowledge the life and the memory of Brian Eviston, someone that I grew up with and have known 95% of my life. You know, Brian was always the smartest guy in the room, as well as one of the funniest, and he was a leader in everything that he did. Teams, classroom, social engagements, didn't matter. He was always a leader. He was the salutatorian of our senior class and graduated with high honors from Thomas More. He was in a, went on to become an attorney. He gave back to the community in many ways, and he was a huge lover of high school football in Northern Kentucky. And even up until recently, where he would still come and watch the Cuffcat team, she would still see him. And I actually saw him at the Beachwood game several weeks ago. He married his great love, had four beautiful children. He was diagnosed with ALS in the fall of 2016, but faced it with great courage. You know what? He faced it with the leadership that I think 
we all could hope to do. Although he put up a valiant effort, you know, Brian passed away last week. He has left behind a legacy that will live on for many years to come. Uh, I know it's been a real hard time over there for Coach and his family. I mean, the very, very loyal people, very private people, but also very Irish. And they will, um, they will bear this and they will celebrate Brian this week and, um, you know, get back stepping forward with it. So I just wanted to mention that, you know, Brian was a great friend for many years and just uh, really sad, really sad for them. And you could definitely tell that it affected the, the program, the kids. And, and you had mentioned just like the emotion that Eddie showed at the end of the game. That's not something you usually see. It was a release. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I hope that in the end that, um, you know, we could all walk away from things being, you know, better people for and, and, and while we face anything that we do. It's going to be a tough day tomorrow, tough day Wednesday, but uh, Brian is one of them dudes that uh, will tell you to chin up and let's get going. I may have a funny Brian story. Can I end this on a funny Brian story? Please do. And, um, you know, and I'll be honest with you, it, it, it stems from – Conversation I'd had, you had mentioned the um, the play in the Cuffcath Highlands game where Evan Pitzer had gotten hit, and you know I'd gotten a couple calls about that play, and you know obviously it was a loose ball play. His position, he was just it was a perfect storm of being vulnerable. To be honest with you, there was nothing illegal about it, uh, and it got me talking about a Brian Evanson story. Brian was our quarterback. I was a tight end, and uh, we were playing at Ludlow my senior year. It was a district game, and. So on this team, you had Randy Borchers, myself, Eddie Eviston, and then Brian. And um, it was early in the first quarter. And I honestly, I couldn't even tell you what happened, but I whiffed on blocking the defensive end, and he just mauled Brian, right? Mauled him. And Brian was a perfectionist. He was a leader of, above everything else. And uh, I walked back to the huddle. I knew that I was – I knew that I was going to get it from either him or from Coach Schneider. And Brian grabbed my face mask and basically told me in a polite way that uh, – not polite, whatever, but uh, that there was no rooms for, you know, mess-ups on his offense, um, which coming from someone you knew your whole life and, and a teammate and your leader, you don't ever want to fail him again. So later in a game – this is a tight game. I don't remember what the score was, but it was a, it was a one to two-possession game. And uh, fourth quarter, I was going out just to run a quick – I think we used to call them flags. I don't know what they call them anymore. And he sailed that ball just a little bit. I, I, he obviously – he was a winner. He didn't want to lose. So he didn't sail it on purpose. There was a picture in the paper the next morning of my, my looking up at this ball and the Ludlow guy right at me. And it had that – you know, it was a nighttime when the, the lights were lit up like a deer – what it doesn't show is that when I tipped that ball, the Ludlow def- defensive back mauled me. And by the time I rolled over with the stars, you know, seeing stars and could barely breathe and came back to the, to the huddle, Brian looked at me and said, uh, didn't feel real good, did it? <laughs> no. But it, it, we laughed. You know, we won the game. We laughed. Everything was great. But that's, you know, you know it was just a good Brian story. And he was a good dude really good dude so well week nine show two to go well and then playoffs i guess bring on the playoffs we uh we appreciate everybody hey, jeremy you got anything before you head back to work yeah we appreciate you guys tuning in and uh wishing everybody luck this week and we will see you when we see you